So I want these guys to just spend a few minutes. We're talking about calling. Dr. Hewitt's given you their titles, but more importantly than their titles today is their actual call to ministry. And so I ask you guys to be able to give maybe a 30-second or one-minute summary of how is it that you know God called you to the ministry. Talk a little bit about your calling. Well, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. My mom was organist. My dad was a deacon, Sunday school teacher, had aunt and uncle who were career uh, back then, FMB missionaries to Southeast Asia. So I'd seen that all of my life. I'd done all the things I thought good boys were supposed to do. Walked the aisle, got baptized, but I wasn't a believer. And the Lord began to draw me and save me when I was mid-24, turning 25. And there was such a radical turnaround because by that time I had gone out into the world and was living a pagan life, really, that I was determined there forward, I was going to spend every day that I had left for the Lord. I wasn't going to waste any more on me. And I knew that meant some sort of career ministry. And a call to, to ministry, I knew, came with a call to prepare. So I, I went to a local college and I started preparing for Christian ministry, did an undergraduate degree in biblical studies. But we started going on short-term mission trips in the summers. And God began to stir my heart, stirred Mary's heart, and we realized on those short-term trips, this is, this is what God made us to do. This is what we're supposed to do. And so we surrendered to international missions and headed out with the IMB to Ecuador and never looked back. Amen. Thanks. Dr. Kenyon, tell me about yours. You know, I grew up in a, in, in a church as well, heard the gospel. Uh, didn't become a Christian until just before my senior year in high school. And um, I had no ambitions or thoughts at all about doing uh, any kind of ministry, either before or, or really after that. Um, uh, I'd want to be president of the United States, but that, that <laughs> didn't work out. Now, of course, with Donald Trump, anybody can be president of the United States. But um, I thought, uh, I thought I'd, what I was supposed to do was to help people to learn about the gospel and become Christians. And so I was sharing the gospel, and I started teaching Bible studies. And, and um, it was through that that people said, have you ever thought about going in the ministry? And I, I said, no, I've never even considered the possibility. In fact, I thought I would never do that. Um, but through the, the ministry of the church and through the witness of the church, there began to evolve in my own life both an internal desire to want to do this, uh, kind of sensing that God was calling me to do this more than just as a person who would teach a Sunday school class or lead Bible studies, but then also the kind of what we would call the outward call where the church begins to recognize, you know, there's something here that's more than just somebody that would teach a Sunday school class or more than someone who would just uh, be involved in uh, evangelism as a person who's serving as an architect or a doctor or a barista at Starbucks or whatever, uh, but someone who um, perhaps uh, is being formed by God for a particular kind of ministry. And so it was through both this internal desire, the sense of um, th this is really a passion, a desire that I have to, to serve in ministry, a calling from the Lord internal, but then also externally, the church saying, you know, this is something we see in you, uh, something that we would like to help to, uh, to undergird. Uh, and so those two calls, the internal and the external, came together in, in, uh, in that way in college. Thank you. Thank you. Dr. Seals, you, you quite literally wrote the book on, <laughs> on the call, the missionary call. Um, can you just take a few minutes, if you would, and just explain, uh, as, as we think about, we use this word call, call. What is, what is a call? How would you summarize that? Somebody says, hey, what is this thing that is the calling to ministry, calling to missions? Yeah, and I do. I get that question a good bit, especially from people who begin to think about a mission agency, and that agency says, well, tell us about your missionary call. And then people would come to me, and they would say, what is a missionary call? Where do you see that in the Bible? Is it even biblical? What, if, what has the church thought about it through the years? And I was answering the question so much, so many times, I, there was no one resource I could point to, say, go read that. So sort of out of self-defense, I began to do a lot of more research about it, and it kind of morphed into that book. But this missionary call is, is difficult to describe. It's different for every single person, just like a call to any kind of ministry. It's like, in a sense, trying to describe to an eight-year-old the difference between liking someone and loving someone and being in love with someone. He gets liking his friend he plays baseball with, and he gets loving his mom, but he's never been in love before. But it's it, since he's not experienced it, he doesn't really know it. So me saying the answer to this question is still going to be difficult for those who aren't 
really stirred by God to do that. But there is this inner call, that sense of shoulds and oughts, this stirring of your heart that this is what God is calling me to do, uh, gifting me to do, giving me a passionate about, passion about doing. But others, the external call, people recognize, you know, we see those gifts. We can affirm that. But God can't lead you based on information you don't have. So it also comes from an awareness of needs of the world, uh, needs of, of the, what the Scripture calls us to do and how that res corresponds with your life and giftings, and this inner desire to go and do that. A lot of people say, I don't even want to go to chapel on missions day for fear God might call me to missions. That's not on. But, but God gives us a desire for that so that it's a fulfillment of a desire. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I think that means he will he'll give you the desire. That's where it came from. But it also means he will give you that desire if you're delighting yourself in him. Not the world, not the flesh, but in him. And there is a... Uh, a sense of fulfillment, it is an expression of your gifts in a way that he is giving you a peace, it's resonating with your spirit, it's that fire shut up in your bones finally found an outlet. Now I will admit it's difficult to explain that to your father-in-law when you're trying to tell him you're going to take his grandkids to another country. <laughs> if he doesn't have that call, it's, he's not going to totally understand it even still. But it's like at the Southern Baptist Convention, you could ask all the ministers, Tell me about your call to ministry. And if they all stand at the microphone, you won't hear the same explanation twice. Yeah, that's right. That's good. Steve, you've spent uh, your whole life involved in church, local church ministry. Your book on the life and practice of the early church is a classic. It's used in seminary classrooms across the country. And so you've studied about uh, this matter of the, the call to Christian ministry, call in the church. Talk a little bit about the call to ministry. Uh, what biblical support is there to support the fact that God calls pastors and calls people to Christian ministry? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of confusion about calling because um, we, we think of Paul talking about every Christian is called, right? Called to salvation, called to Christ. That's, that's the work of God wooing people and bringing people to himself and converting them. Uh, but what you find in the pastoral epistles in particular is there, there are two unique settings. Um, where uh, those who are either becoming pastors or elders in the church, going to serve the church internally as a pastor and elder, or being sent out from that church uh, to cross geographic boundaries or cultural boundaries. You're going to be going to another place and are sent out. Um, the, the church does something unique in the pastoral epistles. They lay hands on those figures. Um, so Paul talks about not laying hands on a novice. Now, there's one way of laying hands. You know, your, uh, you know, your, your son-in-law is going to take your daughter somewhere. You're, you want to lay hands on them, but not that kind of laying on hands. Different kind of laying on hands that takes place. Where the, the laying on of hands on those uh, individuals who are either going to be pastors and elders in the church or who are going to go out as missionaries is the, the type of example, the evidence that you find in the text of there being a unique call to ministry that's distinct from other things that Christians do. Um, you know, every Christian evangelizes or ought to be evangelizing in whatever context they're in. So if you're a barista at Starbucks, you ought to be evangelizing there. But there's no call to be in a barista at Starbucks. Anybody can do that. Lost people do that. The only thing, the only the unique settings in the, in the text where you have the laying on of hands is for pastors or elders and and missionaries. And so that's the call, or the evidence of the call, where there's an inward, uh, this desire. The Bible talks about if you desire being a, a bishop, a desire being a pastor, it's a good thing. You have to have a desire to do this. You know, if, if you say, I hate the idea, I don't have in any way want to be a pastor, well then there's no internal call in right. doing that. Uh, even if somebody else says, you know, if your grandmother says, you make a great pastor, you look good in a suit or whatever, that's, that's not a, a, an evidence of a call. But at the same time, if you say, man, I really want to be a pastor, it's, it you know, looks like such a great and fun job, or I really would like to move to Azerbaijan. It looks like a great place to go and live. And people say, you know, that's not for you. The church says, we watch you. You don't look like you love Jesus a whole lot. You don't really serve the Lord the way that you should. So they're not going to lay hands on you. Or that's not going to be the evidence of uh, the outward call, uh, if you will. So what you find in the Bible then is you find there's something unique about a call to serving the church internally as a pastor or, or an elder or serving the church, being sent out from it. 
uh, as a missionary. And uh, so in the church, you don't have them. They're not laying hands on doctors and lawyers and architects mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. They're only laying hands on those who are being pastors or those who are being missionaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there is this biblical example, biblical model of this. So, you know, recently I've read a lot about people who, who use language like this, very similar language in athletes, artists. I feel like I was called to, to athletics or called to art, called to the, to the business world. Um, and and uh, we don't want to discount their real sense of God using anyone in, in whatever platform that he gives them. So, Dr. Seals, can you just speak just a minute perhaps on this matter of, of calling as it relates to other professions outside the church professions? And is there a similarity to the calling? And what's perhaps distinct between a, a call to Christian ministry and a calling that others may voice and use when they think about other secular professions. Yeah, I think there is a difference, and I think the confusion has resulted in our, a lot of people in our generation have not responded to, to what God is calling mm -hmm. them to do. They look at their peers, and they realize that this guy is genuinely serving the Lord as a bank teller. Mm -hmm. This guy's a plumber, and I can choose anything I want to do. I was... Uh, property management broker. When the Lord mm. saved me, I made a ton of money. I was very involved in the church as I began to grow. I was a deacon, Sunday school teacher, but I knew there was some other kind of call on my life. Others in the church also agreed and they affirmed. Mm. We see those gifts, the passions, etc. But Psalm 139 tells us that all the days ordained for us were written in God's book before one of them came to be. He mm. has a purpose for every life, mm. but we don't confuse that with his calling for those who will intentionally seek to extend the kingdom through what we, what we term ordained ministry of some kind, either local church ministry or overseas, going to other cultures for the purpose of extending the kingdom. I think there is very clearly in the Bible a difference, but the confusion existed even in the last century mm. where some people would say there is no such thing as a call. Mm. You want to be a plumber? Go be a plumber. If you want to be a missionary, go do that. And then others said, well, yeah, there is a call, but we all have it. It's called the Great Commission. In fact, Jim Elliott, one of my heroes, said, we don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. Everybody's got this, right? <laughs> but that same Jim Elliott, who, who would say things like, you know, we need to just go. We should um, seek to go unless God makes us stay. Things like that. He was writing to a guy that he had been trying to recruit to join him in Ecuador, a guy named Pete Fleming. And he wrote him a letter. And... Pete, and Jim said to Pete, Pete, if God has not given you a word about Ecuador, at the end of the day, I don't have a word for you either. Mm. He said, the barriers are too high. The hurdles are too great. It's too dangerous a world. The needs are so necessary for you to go without knowing that this is God's mm. hand on your life sending you out. It's not the same as deciding I'm going to be a banker. It is God setting you apart. The others in your the gray beards in your church or those mm. in your Bible study who know you best, they say, we see and we affirm that. It's a different, it's a calling. It's not just a profession mm. that you are seeking to just be the best you can for God in it. This is something where you're set apart for the purpose of extending the kingdom. Yeah. Well, and I, I think we contributed to some of the problem in the church. Back, back in the 80s when we were kind of starting this, you'd find in churches this, uh, on, on every church's bulletin, there was a statement, every member a minister. In fact, they sometimes would put on there, they would put, you know, the staff, and that's the pastor and the music leader and all that, and then they'd have the ministers, every member, mm. which, which is noble. I mean, it really is noble, and I understand what they were trying to do. What they really wanted to say is that everybody should be involved in the progress of the gospel, and it, we had gone through a period of time in churches where people weren't doing that. But the unintended consequence of that is when everything's ministry, nothing's ministry. Mm -hmm. And so it gets to be where, you know, if I'm helping somebody over here, I'm doing ministry. And if, I'm, if I serve, you know, somebody at, at the Waffle House with excellence, I'm doing ministry. And it's kind of an equivalent to preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel in another culture or moving to another mm -hmm. context. And when everything's missions, nothing's missions. When everything's ministry, nothing's ministry. When everything's kind of the gospel, nothing's the gospel. Mm. And so what, what we're sensing is there is this real need for us to re-articulate again to ourselves and in our churches that every Christian participates in the progress of the gospel in whatever context they're in. But there are these two unique settings where God ordains, sets apart um, followers of his 
to these roles to serve the church and to serve the world. You know, what Ecuador doesn't necessarily need is, is like another lawyer. Uh, you know, what, what a, an Amazonian tribe doesn't need is an architect to come in there and tell them how to put their, their houses together really well. They need somebody to share the gospel with them. And that's a part of what makes this unique for, for the progress of the, of, of the gospel. Lost people can be doctors and lawyers and baristas and plumbers and anything else, but only those who have a calling from God, unique and identifiable both internally and externally, serve as pastors uh, or in the ministry as, as pastors and elders or serve as missionaries. Yeah. If I can just sure, add absolutely. from a missions perspective specifically, this is an excellent word that we need to think about um, as we're measuring what is my place. Because in, in Romans 10, 13, Paul said that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right. And then he began to ask some uncomfortable questions. How can they call on somebody they've not believed in? And how can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone preaches? But then how can they preach unless they are sent? And you look at the church in Syria and Antioch, and the Holy Spirit came down and said, set apart Barnab Barnabas and Saul. The rest of you are slackers. No, he didn't say that because they had a role to play. Their role was to send out those that were so-called and being appointed. And they were to set their hands, lay their hands on them and set them, send them out. And so today, in fact, the subtitle, I think, to that book, if I remember right, it's been a while, is something like finding your place in God's plan for the world. So you have a role for the extension of the kingdom, but it, are you a goer or are you a sender? Mm. Or are you in sin? That's the only other option. We're all to be a goer or we're a sender. Tweet but that. what Tweet is that. my role? That's what I have to figure out. We're not all supposed to, to, to go, and certainly we're not all supposed to stay. Mm. The Lord is the one who calls some out to be sent. Yeah, that, that's great. I appreciate that. There's, you know, there, there's this uh, language that we use that we really don't mean the same thing, but if we're not careful because we only speak one language, we use the same word and it, it just translates across and, and we get very, very confused in this. And I know my own personal experience, um, you know, I tell people all the time, if I didn't know that God called me, there have been ample opportunities to pack the bag and quit. Mm -hmm. And so, Dr. Stills, can you just speak real quick about... We've sort of talked about the theological, biblical perspective, but on a practical level, in your experiences, missionary, training missionaries, working with, with pastors, what's the practical benefit of being able to look in the mirror, look at your wife, look at your father-in-law and say, honestly, I'm called to do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, to be able to walk away from everything that your friends are striving to attain, to give away, sell, uh, wave goodbye to everyone you know and hold dear, and take your kids and go to a place where you don't know the language, you're exposing them to tropical diseases, you're going to be bringing a, a religion that is a threat to the status quo and the worldview that exists. Uh, it, you need to know God is the one who is sending me because he's going to be the one who sustains you. And I would even add in it's important for your spouse to, spouse to share that call. It, it, you know, we can say, well... As a wife, my, my role in life, I just want to support my husband. He's the spiritual leader of our home. He loves me. He would die for me. And I, I just want to provide a nurturing home. I can do that anywhere in the world, so let's go. Mm. But if she doesn't have that same sense of, of God's call is on me as well, then when the going gets tough, the kids get sick, you get um, amoebas and you can't learn the language and maybe your home is broken into or all kinds of things happen, you begin to mentally start packing your bags. Mm. Why, why wouldn't you? You have a great job at home. Your family's telling you to come back. Your grandmother's putting you on a guilt trip. Why wouldn't you go home? Because God's call is on my life, and I cannot not do what I'm doing. That's what sustains you. Yeah, there's this, there's this glue that is in it. It's this stack pole that's like no matter how far I pull away from that place, it's as if to not do that very thing would be to be disobedient mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Penny, what do you think? How, what, what's the significance of a call? And quite frankly, if someone would say, well, I'm just not sure that I'm called or not, does the calling actually, how does that work when it comes to success in ministry, striving uh, in Christian ministry? You know, I, I think there is a sense in which we, we do have a glue to what we're doing. We, we keep on, even when times get tough, even when there are difficulties that happen. There's also a confidence that comes mm. from knowing that there's both an internal and external call. You know, it's not just someone saying, I really believe God wants me to be 
you know, the pastor of the church. Uh, and so I'm going to usurp authority because God can't. Well, that's how cults get born. We're not talking about someone who says, I have this great ambition that I'm going to achieve. With, with a real sense of biblical call like we're talking about, there is the external call where the church comes alongside and says, we're here to undergird and to support and to pray and to, and to help you to grow and to um, mentor you and to minister to you. And that's why Paul says, don't lay hands on a novice. Uh, someone who has this sense of call, you bring them along and you, you, they grow up into this. So there's a real confidence in doing ministry that misses if you're not sure this is what you're supposed to be doing. You know, you, you step out and you make decisions and you're going to pick your family up, you're going to move across the country or around the world, or you're going to, you're going to drop your job to go to seminary, um, and you're going to pack up and, and bring your family to Wake Forest, North Carolina, to come and study in seminary. And they're thinking, we've got a great job here in Tennessee or Alabama or, or, or wherever you're coming from. And you say, you know, there's confidence in going to do this, not just because I believe it. I'm not just the, you know, the husband who's saying, uh, I really, you know, believe we're supposed to go. You follow me and we're going to come. This is my ministry and you come along with that. The church is saying, we believe God wants you to do this. And so we're going to come alongside you and you can enter into that with confidence. Mm -hmm. It may not necessarily mean that there's success in the way that you might think of success. You may go be a missionary for 40 years in a place and you may never see a convert. But the ministry is still uh, being accomplished because God's called you into that position, that, that place. He's put you there, and you're being faithful. So you can be confident in faithfulness if you know there's the inward and the outward call. If you don't have a sense of calling, the moment that someone questions whether or not there's any success, and therefore they question the validity of your ministry, you're going to say, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore, and I'll just go back and I'll become a barista somewhere. You know, one of the saddest things that happens to me here at Southeastern for 20 years now is the student who picks up and moves here from someplace because both they and their church believe that they have a sense of call into the ministry and they get here and either the struggles of life or uh, the, the affairs of the world uh, appeal to them so much that they end up abandoning the work of the ministry. Mm. And they come and they've sold the, the farm, as it were, and they get here and they uh, really believe God's called them here and they've written down the form that God called them to ministry and before long, you know, they're working at UPS or they're working at Starbucks or they're working at some other place. And the saddest thing that could happen is for someone who both internally and externally has a call to ministry to abandon that call mm -hmm. and to be disobedient to that call from God because maybe the world can give them more things, right? Maybe they, they can make more money by doing this job over here. And so they're not going to be obedient to God. Or maybe it's just tough, or maybe their friends have, have decided they don't want to be pastors either, or maybe they met some guy or some girl that didn't want to be involved in missions and said, well, shoot, I'm not going to do this any longer then. One of the saddest things that happens, happens at seminaries all over the place, and as churches and as pastors, we want to make sure we come alongside these young men and these young women who are being called into different, different aspects of ministry or missions, and that we affirm them and we stand with them because there are just far too many obstacles to, to accomplishing the work of the ministry, and we don't want to see that happen. And a sense of call, both inward and outward, gives you confidence whenever you go to serve the Lord in those ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly right. And I think many of you guys in here, if, if you've served in the church, you know, local church ministry... Uh, is not always roses. I mean, it's a, it's a great calling. It's an honorable call to escort people from the darkness into the light. You work uh, among an unreached people group around the world, and you, you walk in, and no one wants to be a Christian, and you see people come to faith in Christ. And This is the greatest day in the world. I remember the first time I gave a Bible to a guy who started crying because he said, I've prayed all my life somebody to give me this Bible. And I thought, if every day was like this, nobody would have to be called, right? right. Just kind of do it. Yeah. But it's those other days when you can't figure out where the bathroom is, you can't know the language to get there, or you're in a meeting at a church, and people are beating on you because of your what you've preached, that people die and go to hell, or you've been pushed in some corner. So I think there's a sustainability that comes, there's a strengthening that comes, and the significance of it. So I think a, an important question we probably need to, to ask, and I think one that maybe some of our students would, would really wrestle with is, look, if we agree this is important, the Bible shows there are examples of this, how do we know? I mean, how, how can I know that God's actually called me into this thing? Mm -hmm. And uh, how do I... How do I hear from the Lord? How do I obediently follow the Lord? Dr. Seals, how do you answer that question if somebody sincerely would come to you and says, Hey, look, I, you know, I really want to know. Maybe I feel it or maybe I'm struggling. 
even uh, Matt Carter in chapel said, you know, he was afraid to be a public speaker. And now he's a pastor of one of the largest churches in America. So there's got to be this, you're not necessarily good at this thing at the beginning. So how do you know that God's called you? Yeah, and that, of course, anybody that's worked in youth ministry or any kind of ministry whatsoever, you've had people ask you that question. How do I know God's will for my life? How can I figure that out? And just let me just say with regard to chapel, I think that is a good illustration of when God has called somebody and set them apart, there is sort of a, an unction. There is an, um, a grace that comes along with that that's very difficult for us to articulate. But very seldom in a sermon have you heard information you had never heard before. Mm. But it's usually couched in such a way and comes to you with such power. And you can, say, whether you say these words in your mind or not, you think, God's hand is on this person. God is using this person. I knew all the things they said, but there's no way, et cetera. So we see an example of that in chapel mm. today, that that was powerful. And for most of you, it was probably not brand new information, but it was clear to see God's hand is on this man and using him. Well, when I am answering the question for a student, I, I mean, I take a while, but I'm going to do this very quickly and just say, <laughs> they're not one, two, three easy steps and boom, there it is. Mm. This is God's will for my life. But I look at it as sort of like ingredients of a cake. And there are eight main ingredients I tell them to consider. Now, one, I can't tell you God's will for your life as much as I'd like to do that. But I can say if that table is the ingredients of your cake, what eight ingredients need to be there? Number one, if you want to know God's will, whether I'm, I have this call on my life or not, you, you need to know him. Mm. You need to know him very well. Mary and I have been married 40 years this year. And we have conversations without even opening our mouth. We finish each other's sentences i know exactly what she would think about something and she does me we just know each other very well you need to know god like that and to know god like that you have to spend a lot of time with him elizabeth elliott said a lot of people are more concerned about knowing the the product than they are knowing the source hmm. so we have to know god very well but how would how do we know him if god had not revealed himself what would you know about him hmm. precious little that he is psalm 19 romans 1 but not much else. So know his word. Know God. Know his word. And how do you really know his word? David said, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. So you must pray. God, guide me as I read this word. Show me in my life. Give me impressions, etc. Know God. Know his word. Spend time in prayer. And then talk to the graybeards around you. Seek guidance from those people that he has put into your life who know you. They've made good decisions with their life. Don't let them tell you what God's will is. But just ask their counsel, right? And then number five, look at your spiritual, uh, I call them spiritual markers, or your life experiences. God has made you who you are by shaping you with experience all through your life and put in the building blocks. So look and see how God has guided me so far. Then look at the circumstances. Some people call that throwing out a fleece, open door, closed door, but remember... Jesus called, devil the God, uh, Jesus called the devil the God of this age, so mm. he can open and close doors too. Be careful with just that. Just because a girl wants to marry you, if you're trying to decide whether to marry Jill or Jane, <laughs> and she's willing, this girl's willing to marry you, if you're already married to Sally, she's not God's will for your life. So you can't just go by circumstances, right? You have to, but factor it in. Because, you know, if, if you genuinely believe that something is what you know God's leading you to do, but the circumstances literally precluded. It's not just keep knocking, but you moved here when you were 50 and you've been in prison three times and now you think you're supposed to be president of the United States. It's not going to happen mm. it's, unless we change the Constitution. So some <laughs> things, circumstances work. And then after you do all that, look at the timing. Mm. And the timing doesn't sound very spiritual, but Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, or Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything. Mm. And finally, what do you want to do? I, would add, I think that's a legitimate question. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Know God, know his word, spend time in prayer, seek counsel, look at your life experiences, look at your circumstances, consider the timing, and then examine your heart. Hmm. Lord, how, what kind of desires are you giving me? As I say, all I want is all you want. Not my will, but yours, Lord. Then look in your heart and see what kind of desires are there. It could be that that is an indication of how he's leading you. Mm. They're not fingernail marks on the sidewalk all the way up to the door that goes to the admission field, mm. right? It's 
uh, desire changing in your heart. So that's a long way around the barn, as we say in Mississippi, to answer the question. <laughs> a lot of sugar for a nickel, but um, it's most of that is in like chapter two of that book. So if you want to, if you didn't take notes and you want to remember it, it's in that book. So could someone say you think um, beyond a shadow of a doubt? I know that I'm called. Or is that something that someone would say, well, I think so, maybe, maybe not? How would you answer that question? I would say that you can say that when you step into glory. I know that I was called. This was the life I was supposed to live. Mm. But I think right now we are saying no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. And it's like walking through the door that comes into this room. Mm. And I'll spend a season of my life in this room. We'll call it Southeastern Seminary mm -hmm. time. And then there's another door I notice, and I go through that door genuinely feeling led of the Lord as I examine these eight ingredients, and I get into this bigger room, and I've lived there for a season of my life. And then, and each one of those seasons mm. are God's will for me for that season. But if I were just to go into the library here with a blank legal pad or a blank Word document and say, Lord, I'm going to sit here and pray and fast until you tell me your will for my life and whether I'm called to be a missionary, I think we'll find a skeleton sitting in front of sure. a legal pad one day because God doesn't, re doesn't reveal it in that kind of a way. We more discover His will as we're faithful to do what He leads us to do by keeping ourselves fresh in those eight ingredients every day. But yes, I do think there is a personal call, mm. and I think it is so personal and designed for you that no one else could fulfill it. Mm. And God has a plan for you that was designed before any of your days came to be, Psalm 139 says, and He will begin to stir you. It will be that fire shut up in your bones. And I, I think that every one of us has a role to play. Mm. And you won't have peace in the pastorate or as a bank teller until you've asked and answered that question. And God says, you're doing what I mm. called you to do. Or, yes, you are to go mm. into the ministry or, or, or into the mission field. Mm. Dr. Kenny, how would you respond to someone's question about sort of the specificity of the call? I feel like God's called me to reach Muslims in this one country or I've, you know, God called me to be a pastor in Mississippi or is there the specificity in this? Is it more generic call to ministry? Well, I, th I think it's yes and no. I think that it all comes down to, to, to kind of sum up what, what I heard from Dr. Seals is it's all relational, right? It comes down to a, essentially three different relationships, right? A relationship with God, a relationship with the church, our relationship with people outside of the church. And if we're, if we're living faithful in each one of those relationships, so if we're walking daily with the Lord and we're following after Him, and our goal is not to find our call or find our place in the world, but our, our goal is, is to know God and to walk with Him. If our goal is to live faithfully in the church, we should do what, what we're supposed to be doing in the church, right? We're bearing one another's burdens. We're forgiving one another's God and Christ has forgiven us. We're praying for one another. We're, we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing in the church. And then we're doing what we're supposed to be doing with regard to people outside of the church, people who don't know Jesus. Mm -hmm. Then I think what happens is that the call becomes even more specific as we're faithful in those three arenas. Mm -hmm. So that people in the church suddenly begin to say, have you thought about being mm -hmm. a pastor? Have you thought about being a missionary? Have you thought about doing something? I'll use Dr. Hildreth uh, as an example because when we lived overseas, my wife and I lived overseas, he <laughs> lived uh, in another country, Citronelle, Alabama. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, I remember one time when we were back from uh, Scotland, where we lived, we were visiting because we had been friends for uh, forever, and uh, we were talking about living in another country. And I remember uh, his wife, and if you know Miss Hildreth, you know what a, mi I mean, just, she is all about missions. And, and I remember sitting there and her saying, I could never move to another country, never in a million years. And Scott said, I would never move to another country, never in a million years. I'm going to stay right here in Citronelle, Alabama my whole life. And it was not several months later that suddenly I get this call and he says, you know, we're thinking about becoming missionaries. <laughs> now, why? Why is it that he was thinking about becoming a missionary? It wasn't because they sat in their living room and said, we just need to find God's will for our life. Mm -hmm. It's because they were faithful in those three arenas in their life. And they lived faithfully with, with regard to God, the church, and other people. And suddenly, and there's a whole series of events that he can tell you about at some point, but suddenly he gets this this call that says you're supposed to become a missionary, a church planter in another country. And his wife comes back from a, from a meeting and says, you're not going to like me for saying this, but I, I really think we ought to consider the possibility of missions. Well, I've been thinking the same thing. And before long, mm -hmm. God's been working specifically to then 
put them where he put them around the world. But it's not because they sat there and said, I just want to hear a voice of where I'm supposed to go. Which country do you want? Let me just lay out a map. Am I supposed to go here? Am I supposed to go here? And I'm going to wait until some, suddenly something starts to glow. It's because they started talking to people and finding where are their needs? Where, where could I go? Where would I like to go? I like this kind of food over here. Why do I want to go? There, those kinds of things become very specific so that you may end up or someone may end up saying, you know what, I really, I have a, a sense of desire to minister to people who have not yet graduated from high school. And so they go and they do that. Or someone who says, I really have a, minister, a, a desire to minister to people that are infirm. And so I'm going to go and, and minister. But it's not because they, just desi they themselves desire to do this, because God put that desire in their heart. So I think there is specificity to, I'm going to minister in, in an established context or a church planting context or another country. And in each of those areas of our lives, if we're living faithfully, the call becomes more and more specific as we're faithful each step along the way. We don't know the end from the beginning. Only God knows the end from the beginning. And so we walk faithfully down this path, and before long we find out I should go left instead of right, or right instead of left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we don't, and I agree, I don't think we need to say, because I don't have it all mapped out, I'm therefore not called. Right. Yeah. And I've had people... I mean, almost back up to my desk, kind of embarrassed, like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about sharing the gospel. I love internationals. I, I love languages. I'd like to learn how to really be very conversational in X language. And we, we really feel called to Arab-speaking Muslim people, but we just don't feel like we have our call yet. And I'll think, okay, well, let's back, let's back up and let's talk about right. what is it that you think. And they'll say, well, I don't know the exact zip code yet. You know, and I say, well, how specific does your call have to be before it's a call? Do you have to know which zip code? Do you have to know which neighborhood? Do you have to know which house is going to be yours? And which bedroom in that house is going to be yours? I mean, how specific do we have to be before we'll allow it to be a call? So when I was doing the research for that book, and I was looking at all of our missionary heroes, and you could just begin to pop them off. And in fact, I have a number of them listed in there. Basically, a little short thing about how their call came as their were discovering it, but one of our, I don't know if she's in the book, but Rachel Saint, mm. one of our heroes, um, Nate Saint's sister who stayed and mm. worked with the Wadani people the rest of her life, died among them, etc. But Rachel said she was on a way back from being over in Europe, caring for some other people's kids, it's kind of like a nanny, and they're sailing back to the U.S. She was standing at the railing of this ship, and she just noticed all in this sort of a prayer kind of vision she had, little brown children dancing around her feet. And she said, I knew I was supposed to go as a missionary to somewhere to kids like that. Now, I'm the least mystical guy you'll ever want to meet. I'm like three <laughs> steps to the right of Moses. That made me a little nervous. But that was her call. To, to, that's how she described it. There's another lady cited in the book who said, I woke up in the middle of the night. Jesus was standing at the foot of my bed, said, go to Africa, be, as a, be a missionary. And, of course, you hear all kinds of stories that are sometimes very precise. And you say, because that hasn't happened to me, I'm not called. But those stories, all that is to say this, those stories and any illustration you can think of from somebody you know are descriptive of what happened in their life. They're not necessarily prescriptive of how God calls every person. So you need to, as, as Steve was saying, let God lead you, guide you and, and if you're not faithfully seeking to serve God here, nothing mm. magic happens right. when you buckle the little seatbelt on the airplane. <laughs> you get off the same person you were. So start living the life now, and you'll be amazed how God begins to make clear what he's calling you to do. Yeah, that's good, because probably the truth is none of the three of us would have assumed we'd be professors in a seminary that's one right. day. No. I mean, no. I remember standing on the campus of New Orleans Seminary under an umbrella and dropped a Greek class because they had an MDiv that didn't require languages, and I said, I'm never getting a Ph.D., you know. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is spend my life in a seminary. And then God, through a series of events, missions, pastor, it just calls you back. And so you really, you follow the Lord, but there's this real sense of sort of unction and determination. Mm -hmm. When I was preparing for this, um, this event, you know, I wrote an autobiographical um, little article, Baptist Press, uh, picked it up. Just kind of really diagramming and describing a relationship that I and several other young men had with a, a pastor in a church who really felt his ministry was to call out the call from his congregation. And just as God called us to the ministry, 
he basically sacrificed himself in ministry to invest in what he would call the next generation of pastors as a, as a real distinct moment in his ministry. Mm -hmm. Dr. Seals, as you've uh, spent your time not just writing the book but traveling around, how would you, uh, how would you articulate this uh, ministry of the pastor as it relates to calling out the called? Helping the people in your congregation hear and discern God's call and helping them develop and train for the ministry God's called them to. Yeah, I would, I would say it's very important that you do train your people in a full-orbed kind of way, not just uh, you know, a steady diet of your evangelism sermons, although that's very important. But they need to really understand God's Word, and God speaks to us through His Word, but He doesn't speak to us through His Word as it sits on a shelf. Mm. We have to get in it and understand it. And as you travel around the world, if you go on some of these short-term trips, you see these guys who are pastors. But we have pastors in our reaching and teaching classes. We take, we take um, about 60 teams mm. a year of people like you, and they go with us, and they help us train pastors on the field. And you might say, well, I, I couldn't do that yet. Think jail ministry. That's <laughs> the level that most of these guys are. And these guys that are pastoring two, three, or four churches – because a missionary said, you ought to be the next missionary, here are the keys, and they yeah. didn't get out of the way, and they're the next pastor. But they, mm. they don't know anything, and they're asking us questions like, uh, when was Jesus saved? Was that before or after the resurrection? Mm. And you're thinking, this guy, he's the Christian Google in his community. He is all <laughs> anybody knows about Christianity, and he doesn't even know answers to basic questions like this. Why? Because we have sometimes such a need for uh, developing our ministry and sometimes we do that by numbers that we're trying mm -hmm. to promote but we get so focused on that that we forget to develop those under us so that God can speak to them and call them out as well. I have a, a great, great, I think just two greats, grandfather <laughs> who was a fairly well-known pastor in Mississippi many years ago at least in history, baptized one of the governors of Mississippi mm -hmm. Um, but just farmer preacher type, right? Baptist farmer preacher type. And I remember reading something that was written about him after he had passed away. But the literally hundreds of young men who went into the, called out to the ministry under him. And he had no real education. And he didn't take that as an excuse and just say, well, I'm not going to get my own or train others. Mm. I remember him, he wrote a letter to his son in which he said, I took my education by a pine knot at the end of a long day of work. He had two books in his library, a King James Bible and, a, and an English dictionary. Wow. And every night he would just study and study and study. And he learned what he could. And he taught those who were under him. And the Lord called people like mm. that to go out into um, the world as ministers. I, I would be fearful for um, where I was when I first started in the ministry for me to replicate people like I was. Mm. And God has continued to shape me and given me a passion for training up other um, pastors that have that kind of knowledge and skill base and heart of discipleship. And so that's where this book, Hearts, Heads, and Hands, came from. Mm -hmm. And that's where our ministry, that's what we do. Chad's here helping us this yeah. week, um, helping to share yeah, that knowledge. That's good. Steve, you and I grew up together. I've known Dr. McKinney in almost 30 years, and we grew up in the church. The pastor that I wrote about was your pastor as well. And so you're a product of the same kind of legacy, the same shadow of the same, same man. How would you respond to that? The Kind of the importance of a pastor who takes a moment and really invests hours into the young men in his church for the future ministry that they will one day do. Well, I think it starts with an awareness of the importance of calling out the call, of, of identifying who will be the next generation of, of people who are pastoring churches and serving as missionaries. Because there will be a next generation uh, of those who are doing that. We're not just going to close all the churches up when the current pastors die. And you can't, you know, you're not called to be a pastor of Starbucks. You're mm -hmm. called to be a pastor of a church. So a, a pastor who recognizes that, um, there ought to be a sense of urgency of explaining what does this mean in the life of the church? The, the pastor ought to regularly be talking about, it seems to me at least, the value of the ministry of the local church to the extent that it needs these men who are called by God to lead that. And, and the scripture talks about what these men look like. And so he should be not only teaching that, but aware. I need to, be, I need to have my own eyes open for what the, the, 
next generation of ministry is going to look like and who these ministers are going to be to begin to see who are the people that look like what we find in, in Timothy and Titus, that look like these, these descriptions that are here, but then teach the church. You'd be looking for them too. So that someone looks around and says, I think he kind of looks like this. But also so that people in the church can hear a call. The call has to be made. And so if a pastor never talks about, you may very well be positioned by God to travel to another country and to share the gospel as a missionary in that context by bringing missionaries in to come and speak about the missionary enterprise, something I see less and less in churches mm -hmm. today. breaks my heart. You know, we don't have like missions training organizations anymore in our churches where we raised up kids and taught them about missions and the missionary came in dressed in the weird outfit and all the kids <laughs> made fun of them. But you know what happened? Those kids grew up to go be missionaries in those places. They were soon showing up, telling the story. I remember when I wore the little goofy outfit that, uh, you know, from, from the, the place. So pastors need to be bringing missionaries in. They need to be talking about the work of the ministry. They need to be challenging people to do this, but not in a way that's, uh, that's, uh, that's heavy-handed and burdensome and says, now, we've got to have one. You know, somebody in this youth group has to be a pastor. You know, you're kind of the weirdest one. You can't do anything else. How about you be it? <laughs> it's not that, but it's talking about his it, teaching. It's being, it, it's being aware, but it's also then greatly encouraging this. And this is what comes back to Dr. Sample. So our pastor said, when, when you came to him and said, I really think this is what I want to do. He didn't say, all right, well, you go stand up Sunday and tell everybody you're going to be a pastor. He said, well, why don't you start hanging out with me and these other guys? And why don't you come have dinner at my house? As young men, here we were, had really no idea what was going on and we were learning we were learning directly from him and seeing and it comes back to this relational idea I mentioned about before that through this relationship there were other people in the church who kind of said that they had this sense that maybe this is what they wanted to do but the more they it, it were involved in a relationship with him and with the church they said you know what I'm not supposed to be a pastor I'm supposed to be just be one of these godly men in the church who teaches Sunday school and I serve as a deacon and I serve on the missions committee and I raise money and I I go work hard and I make a bunch of money and I give it to the church and that pays for a missionary to go and you gotta have that person but you've got to be in a church it seems to me you've got to be in a church that values not only that part the the sender but also values those who, who are called. And you've got to teach it, you've got to live it, you've got to act it, and you've got to bring those people. If you're a pastor, you need to be bringing people like that in your life. And sometimes you're going to be the first one that's, that, that identifies in somebody's life that that may very well be the direction they're supposed to go. You may see that before, before they do. And say, why don't you start hanging out? Why don't you go on a hospital visit with me? Why don't you go to somebody's house with me? Let's talk about what I do. And if that person says, this is awful, I don't want anything to do with it any longer, then you know, I'll move on. But you need to be actively involved in the lives, especially for those who are going to be pastors, these, these men who are in your church, and not just young men, but older men as well in your church, and everyone in your congregation, when they have a desire that they express, I, I, I'm thinking I'd like to go overseas somewhere, and it's not just because I like to travel. Yeah. I really want to go to tell people about Jesus in these contexts. You, you need to engage them actively and spend your time with those men mm. and those women who are sensing a call so that you can help to facilitate mm. that and to shape them so that they understand call in the right way, the way you've understood it. Yeah. Dr. Seals, you make your living. Um, you're teaching, Southern Seminary, missions, raising up, sending out missionaries. You started your own ministry, reaching and teaching, which is basically pastor training mm -hmm. around the world for pastors who wouldn't be at home in a Southeastern Seminary, a Southern Seminary, even an Ecuadorian seminary or something like this. But, so can you just give us some practical advice? We've got some pastors in the room here. We've got others who are watching by video. What would be some practical advice you would give to pastors as it relates to calling out the called from their church? You've given us some practical tips on how to know if you're called to ministry. But now for that pastor, you know, here's some things I think you ought to do practically for really calling people uh, to the ministry, missions, ministering the local church from your church? Yeah, I think it would be important for us to remember, look over our shoulder a little bit. There was a period of time in uh, evangelical life when to be a pastor, yes, you had all this, this uh, academic learning, but you had to be apprenticed to someone. Mm -hmm. We look at Jonathan Edwards, who was mm -hmm. apprenticed to his grandfather Stoddard, who was in the ministry, and to kind of learn that. And uh, we have throughout all the 
the schools of the arts. We had a, a masters and then we had the apprentices who learned from them. And we still use that model today in medical school. Mm. You can get all the medical schooling uh, education that, you, that is required, but then you have to do a residency and you're actually practicing that. And as much as I love Southeastern and Southern, and I used to run the seminary in Ecuador, so I, you know, <laughs> I appreciate the, the, acade the theological encyclopedia of academia. I love that. I, I write books. I have books. I'm, I, that's, I'm a nerd that way. But <laughs> what we've got to do is take guys along with us. And so if you can identify who those people are that God seems to have his hand on them, you've recognized their gifts or their passion, or they themselves have begun to ask questions and they're beginning to, to explore, then bring them along. Do this kind of what these, the blessing that these guys had, you be that for other people and take them with you on hospital visitation. Let them have an opportunity. Just think about two guys. One goes to high school. He goes straight from there to college. The Lord begins to stir his heart for ministry. He comes to seminary. He graduates. And he came from a small or open country kind of rural church. Or he wasn't a larger city church, but he wasn't really that involved when he was in high school. But now, now that he's finished seminary, he goes out into his very first church as pastor. That's one setting. The other one is a guy who in high school years began to express these gifts and passion and desires. Somebody recognized him and said, yeah, and began to take him along. And he does sort of an internship, formal or not, in that church, participating with the pastor in funerals, hospital visitation, planning and doing <clears throat> weddings. And the whole thing of church ministry, visiting senior citizens and working with parents of young children, the whole deal. Then he goes to college and then he goes to seminary, and he goes into his first church. Which one of these guys would you like to have as pastor? <laughs> and sometimes bad things happen to good people when this guy decides that he's going to change the church constitution the first Wednesday night business meeting or whatever makes sense to him uh, because he's not learned. You don't move the piano from mm. one side of the auditorium to the other you know, without going through proper channels, things like that. Uh, same with missions. You know, we need to get people involved, going to spend some time on the field with real-life missionaries and living, being a part of their lives, being in their homes for a week or so. But you can intentionally serve as the master to those who are the apprentice, apprentices mm -hmm. under you. It's not for nothing that you're there. Right. You are there for not just being the preacher on Sundays, but for equipping the church to do the ministry. I mean, that's what pastors and teachers are about, Ephesians 4.11, is we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry.